Okay, Lord, we again, we just pray that you just would just come in and, and that we would really concentrate this morning and that we would really, uh, and we do believe that you've so prepared us uh, to receive your word just through the, uh, the incredible music and, and the truth and the teaching that we receive from uh, the kind of music that has a heart of worship towards you, towards Christ. So, Lord, again, we just pray for amazing concentration and so that we can just receive exactly what we need in these times that we live in. So just, uh, we're praying that that my sentence would come forth from your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. If I was going to title... The message today would be the necessity of prayer in warfare. The necessity of prayer in warfare. And I'll just read some scriptures and read quite a few uh, this morning. But in Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And this is clearly teaching right away that the place of strength is in Christ or we have no strength. It says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you, and that's very personal, may be able to stand. And this is very key against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But the original says blood and flesh. So we wrestle not against blood and flesh. There's a key right there. We do not wrestle. The Bible's making it very clear here. And again in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 it says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Not like they were in Joshua's day in Moses' day in Elijah's day. They're not flesh and blood. They're much more powerful and much more higher in terms of a authority. Not our authority, certainly, but that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we, that's us, and God is speaking to us very clearly this morning, that we do not wrestle. That word wrestle there in the Greek is pele. It's P-A-L-E, long E, pele. And it means that literally our wrestling is face-to-face, hand-to-hand wrestling with these principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heights. Israel's enemies were on the earth. Our enemies are in the heights, far above the earth. We have wrestled with them face to face. The wrestling here that Paul had in his mind through the Holy Spirit was in the Greek games. When they would wrestle, these two combatants would wrestle. They would wrestle face to face, arm in arm, body against body. And the loser of that match always had their eyes gouged out. A very, very intense, this is the truth of what it's teaching us. The times that we live in, the dispensation that we live in, and, and by the way, the book of Ephesians 
Seriously, you can divide the whole book of Ephesians in three specific areas. Number one, and it's very clear and extremely important, probably the book of Ephesians, you don't get any higher in terms of teaching and the height and the weapons of our warfare and the warfare that we're in any higher in our position, but then in our warfare than the book of Ephesians. The first part always goes into teaching. The book of Ephesians, it's teaching. The second part that goes, that we, that goes into, and you go into it very clearly in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, it has to do with our work. In other words, how our life or who our life is governed by. So in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, there's always these temptations that battle the flesh, lusts, and all these different areas. And what that deals with is our walk. So we have a battle constantly with the flesh, with the lusts of the flesh. Remember that the flesh is in us in Romans 7.18 and in John 6.63, but we are not of it. But yet there's a battle. So Romans 8 verse 9, if the spirit of Christ dwells in you, you are not in the flesh, in it. But we can certainly lose the battle and fall prey to it, even though it's not who we are. And then the third part, we go into the sixth chapter of Ephesians, and it has to do with conflict. It has to do with warfare. For we, we, that's everyone here, all those that have received Christ, good teaching, bad teaching. It's very important to have very, very good teaching. But even with the most instructed believer, we wrestle, we, all of us here, wrestle not against blood and flesh. <laughs> Holy Spirit wants to make it completely clear to us, crystal clear, but against principalities. One of the times, and I'm not going to do it this morning, I really want to get into in detail these because we all need it. Starting with me to, and to every person, we all need the very deep specifics of the teaching of the Word of God because that's what's going to prepare us for the battle. For the battle. For we wrestle not against blood and flesh, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, this world system that has been usurped for Satan only for a time, against spiritual wickedness, against wicked spirits, the original says. They are wicked spirits. In what? In high places, in the heavenlies, the Greek says. Now, of course, we know through the scriptures that there was warfare, there was Satan in Ezekiel 28, verse 15. He was perfect in all his ways till iniquity was found in him. Then he went about in heaven after he was called on him that there was wickedness and iniquity in him. Immediately he turned from God. He turned from Christ, who was his teacher, who was his creator. He turned from him. And then it says in Revelation 12, verse 4, his tail drew a third part of an innumerable host of angels. You can't even count. We can't count how many angels. We can't count how many stars there are. 
and in type. We, can't, we cannot count how many these, of these wicked spirits, these principalities, these powers, these wicked spirits in the heavenlies, we can't count them. Yet his tail drew a third of an innumerable host because he went around and trafficked and told lies told lies about God to a third of the angels, and they went with him. Then they were kicked. He was kicked out of heaven, out of the first heaven. Now they reside in the second heavens. They're not yet on the earth. They will be. During that tribulation period in Revelation 12, verse 12, they will be. But they operate in the second heavens. They operate in the air. He's the prince and the power of the air, in Ephesians 2, 2, he is the God of this world system in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Jesus said, I don't have anything to say with him. I have no part in him. He said that again in John 14, verse 30. He has no part in 12, verse 31 of John. He's the God, the prince and power of the air. He's the God of this world system. And this is who we battle against against the spiritual wickedness in the heights, in these very, very high, high places. So, because of that, verse 13, wherefore, wherefore, because of what we just read, we need to take the whole armor of God. For what purpose? That you and I may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, the Greek says, having overcome all, to stand. In other words, to continually stand. Listen, we are, we were born, <laughs> the, the, of course, we, before we were received Christ as our Savior, we were born into conflict. That's what we were born into. We were born into conflict. But how much greater, because of the position that we have in Christ, how much greater is that conflict? It's huge. It's huge. Born into conflict. That's what we are. We were born into, yes. We have the privilege of the height, a much higher position in the eternal mind of God than all of Israel ever had. Their, their enemies were flesh and blood. Earthly. Our position is in the heavenly Christ. We have a much higher calling and a higher position in Christ. Listen, are they all in heaven? All those Old Testament saints? Yeah, you hear about them in the heavenlies. And when whoever wrote Hebrews, and we're not going to get into the argument of who wrote it, but he was writing to these Christian Jews and telling them all about their forefathers and all about those that went before them. They were in the heavens, but you never heard about them being in Christ in the heavenlies. That's the height. That's our position. And the enemy will go after us unbelievably, unceasingly. So we are in warfare. Now, you can have two countries, and they may have a battle. And it can be a pretty evil day in that battle. But then the battle can cease. But those two countries can, will still be at war. There's been war that's been declared. Satan has declared war against Christ the whole time he walked the earth. And he's declared warfare against us because of our position. 
much, much more intense, much more intense, seriously, than Israel ever faced because we, are, we have to do with the resurrected Christ, the heavenly Christ. So we need, wherefore, take unto you, we, need to take the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, especially in those days where there's battle. Yes, there's war. Do you think that Satan has stopped his warfare and his deception and his denial against God? Do you think so? No. And do you think it will be any less for those that are in Christ? Who defeated him? Now, he's defeated He's defeated, but there's a way that he operates. And this is what our battle is against. It's not against him. It's against the way that he operates towards us. So we are to be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, to continue to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth. Boy, how important is it to be taught. Loins girt about with truth. We're not going to get into the details of this yet. But we definitely need to. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. We're righteous. Listen, the enemy in Revelations 12, verse 10, through his wiles through his methods of lying and deceit, constantly accuses the brethren. Revelation 12, 10. He is constantly accusing us. Those of us that are in Christ. Warfare, constant to accuse us. Constantly. Constantly. If in this warfare our mind gets on ourself, and boy, he wants that, so that he can constantly accuse us. Listen, he accuses God before men. Listen to what I'm saying. He accuses God before men, and he accuses men before God. If you don't believe me, look at the book of Job. All Satan did was accuse Job. And the so-called counsel of his three friends who were under the influence of Satan. They were using the word of God, but they were making the emphasis Job. You, this wouldn't be happening to you. Okay? So they, Satan was using them to accuse man, to accuse God before man. He's going to do that with us constantly because he wants the emphasis, the onus to be on ourselves. That's what he wants. Our battle is not with the flesh. There's all kinds of teaching out there that will tell you, teach you about how you should battle the flesh. None of it's scriptural. We are never to battle the flesh. We are to turn away from it. But how do we do that? How does that happen? Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. That holds everything else in place. <laughs> truth. Truth. If you don't have that on, that, gir that girdle on that holds all the other weapons in place, all those defensive weapons in place. Truth holds it all together in place when we're in battle. Because you never know, and I never know, because war has been declared doesn't necessarily mean that the battle is continuing. 
But there's going to be a day when the battle does come because the, it's like two nations. They are, there's been war has been declared. Two nations are at war. And at times there's a fierce battle based upon it. And there's where we constantly need to have these, uh, this girdle of truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness because... And then, obviously, in verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is not that we are, God equips us to go soul winning and preach the gospel of truth. That's not what it's saying. What it's teaching here is for us personally, in our relationship with God through Christ, where our feet, our walk, is to be governed by the truth and fact that we have the very peace of God, Christ is our peace. Colossians 1.20, Ephesians 2, verse 14. He is our peace. The peace that Isaiah in 26, verse 3, was talking about. Gospel of peace. There's good news to us at all times. We have, God is at peace with us. He is our God, and he is our peace. Christ. But there is a warfare been declared against us. Things that happen to us in life. The enemy wants no more than to think that it's flesh and blood, blood and flesh, or somehow God is doing this. Jesus Christ did away. Remember what we said several weeks ago, that, that Jesus Christ condemned in him anything that could condemn us or God could use to condemn us. It's all been taken care of. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. But there is a war been declared, and there's going to be skirmishes, and at times in our life, a fierce battle. A fierce battle is going to be going on. And so we are to have our feet, as we walk through this wilderness world system of Satan, our feet are to be shod with the preparation. Prepared for what? Well, we'll see why. The preparation, we ought to be prepared in our thinking that God is at peace with us and that the battle is not blood and flesh. And it's not about us doing. It's about us receiving the truth of what is ours in Christ continually. That's why it's the gospel, the good news of peace. And above all, above all, look at what it says, above all, taking the shield of the faith. Again, all that teaching that we have. So in when this war that's been declared, and we may not be in battle, but we still need to know how to be prepared when the battle does come, because come it will. There'll be many battles, but we ought to be prepared. And so we need to take the shield of faith and always have that shield. Always understand right teaching, who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us. The fact that he's defeated Satan, the world, and the flesh, and done away with the law. Done away with it. The law is not to be our rule in our life. There's a lot of teaching out there that will tell you we're not under the civil law, but certainly that law, those Ten Commandments in Exodus 23 to 17, with its 613 ordinances, statutes, and so forth, ought to be how we rule our life. 
Well, Christ in Romans 10, verse 4, he is the end of the law for righteousness. We already have it. He's our righteousness. To them that believe. In other words, to them that totally depend upon him. And not our own thoughts. Not our own thoughts. Above all, taking the shield of faith. All that, all those teachings. Why? Because then we will be able, and not otherwise, we won't be able, if we don't have that shield, to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's the only way we can do it. The thoughts, the projections, the lies, the wiles, his method, constantly coming against us, constantly. Need to have that right teaching. Constantly. And to depend upon it. And it's one thing to have all that armor. It's another thing to have it on. It's another thing to appropriate it. And that can only happen with amazing dependence. And what we'll see here also. And to take the helmet of salvation. To take the helmet of salvation. We're going to never take it off. We never take off the fact that in Ephesians 2.8, we were saved by grace. We were absolutely saved by grace and that it was through faith. And even that was not of ourselves. You see, the enemy wants us to think somehow it's of ourselves that you and I have to do something, not only about ourselves, but do something for someone else. It's a projection. It's a fiery dart. It's a fiery dart. And so we need to have that, to be able to quench all those stars and to have the helmet of salvation on. It's finished. Listen, it's finished. John 19, verse 30, he finished it. We have it on. And even the faith, even the dependence that we need, we have to get from him. It's not about ourselves at all. And the sword of the spirit. Now we get into the first offensive weapon. All the others are defensive weapons. This is offensive. And to take the sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? It is the Word of God. Well, who's the Word of God? It's Jesus Christ. And did he defeat Satan? Was he ever tempted by Satan? I mean, one time in his life, in his humanity, was he ever tempted by Satan? Never. Never was. He never was tempted by him because he's the word of God in his perfect, impeccable humanity in Hebrews 4.15 and so on. The sword of the Spirit. What that means is this. Is it's, it's the Holy Spirit. We are to totally depend upon the Holy Spirit to take the word of Jesus Christ, the truth about who he is in me, who I am in him, what he's done in terms of defeating the atmosphere and all the wisdom that we need in the warfare, but especially in the day of that fierce battle. He is, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He is, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, we are to what? The word of God is what? The Word of God is living and powerful. It's powerful. The Word of God is living. It's a life-giving force. What do we need more than anything else? We need life. We need the very life of Jesus Christ. The Word of God, Christ, is living and what? Powerful. Do we have any powerful 
things in ourselves? Do we have any power in ourselves? Do we have anything in ourselves to stand in the day of battle? We don't. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So taking up the sword as the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14, and he shows them unto us. They are light. They light us up. So we're not deceived. If any lack wisdom in James 1, 5, let him ask of God. What's that? Again, prayer. Let him ask of God who gives liberally, freely, as much as we need. But we need to come to him in absolute dependence. So that's what the sword is. And we can defeat the enemy because he's defeated him. He's defeated. Praying, praying, praying always. Oh, boy, this is key. This is a key for us. Praying just sometimes. No, praying always with all prayer. That means prayer in every single season. When we're down spiritually, we're to continue to pray. When we're lifted high up and prospering, we are to pray continually. We are to pray for each other. We are to Pray for, pray for ourselves and then we're to pray for each other and pray for all Christians and we have to pray all the time. And then with supplication in the Spirit. It's the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that, need, that we need to lead us, to guide us in our prayers. Because who knows the mind of God? In 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, like he does, like God himself. He knows when the battle's going to come. He knows it. And so we need to watch with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And even Paul is saying, and for me, for me, Paul's saying, God had, has given him the word, the truths of the church, like he gave no individual man, none. And he knows that he can't make it himself in his call, in his own personal life, or in his call without the prayers of the saints. And he's praying, and he's saying, listen, pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me. For what? That I may open my mouth and do it boldly. Because the enemy would come after him unbelievably. Like he comes after us, like he does, but for Paul, he said, when I, I am to preach and teach the word of God, and I need the saints' prayers like unbelievable, because otherwise, he said, I won't be able to open my mouth boldly. Because remember what he said? What did he say in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5? Without there were fightings. I mean, fought. He was fought. He's not just talking about flesh and blood, although, but that was that invisible atmosphere that would use these, come through these flesh and blood humans to come after him constantly. And then just, he had to always keep his shield up constantly. And for me, that, I, that utterance may be given to me. That's an answer to prayer. Utterance will be given to him to continue to boldly open his mouth and to make known the mystery of the gospel, the good news, all these truths about Christ, who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us. And he was constantly resisted. Fightings without fears within. He wasn't any different than you and I. 
His call was greater, but not in his salvation wasn't any greater. Christ in him wasn't any greater than he is in us, by the way. But certainly his call. Certainly his call. And he said in verse 24, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, in a chain, in a chain, so that therein, in a chain, in this battle, in all these things, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Prayer. Prayer. We need to stand, it says, to stand against the wiles in verse 11 of Ephesians 6 that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles? The wile here is where we get our English word method. It's methodia, just like it sounds, methodia, M-E-T-H-O-D-I-A. And it's from, and it's methodia of Diabolus. Dia means through. His name is Diabolus, the devil. Dia means through. And bolos here is intense accusations to pierce through and hurt us. He wants to pierce us through with his lies. <laughs> he is defeated, but he wants to pierce us through and hurt us. Pierce us through. That's why we need this shield up, to quench all those fiery missiles. Okay, and it's not, our battle is not against his power. You and I can't stand against his power. Read Jude 9. Michael the archangel did not dare to bring a railing accusation against them. But what did he say? He said, the Lord rebuked thee. This is where I get my strength. I am going to rest in the one who's overcome you. It is not knowing Satan. It's not knowing him that enables us to discover his wiles, his methodia. But it's the keeping in God's presence. That's the key for all of us. That's what prayer does. Praying at all times, literally, for every single thing, we ought to not let it up. It's one thing to have the right teaching, and then it's another thing to appropriate it and have it on and take the shield up. It's another thing, though, to continue to pray because that keeps us in a place of absolute dependence. And when we get out of his presence, we lose the sense of our weakness. And when we do, we try to operate in our own strength. And that's when the enemy can come in and do his work that he decides to do through lies. And so it's keeping in his presence. It's depending on him. It's depending on his presence. It's depending on Christ. Listen, that's where we can fail in the battle. God will never fail us. He doesn't fail us. He never will. He doesn't do it. And so we need to have the fact that Satan can only be, the defeat of his experience can only come from Christ. Otherwise, it's a lie that we succumb to. It is Satan's power. Satan's power that's defeated by Christ. So what does he use? He tries to use his wiles. Oh, you know, God can't be dependent on about this situation and that. See, see how it is. Look how it is. That is a fiery dart that cut through. It cut through 
And all he's looking for is a little toehold. That's all he needs to get his little toe in the door. And when he does, he buries himself in like an enemy. And it's difficult. It can be difficult to get him out of our experience. Never opposition. He can't touch us in opposition. But boy, does he want to get a toehold in our experience through lies, through his methods of lies. So the church, you and I, are subject to more than failure than even the Jews or the Gentiles ever were because of the battle, because of our position, because of what we have in Christ. And so, why? Because they weren't called to the same blessings that you and I have. The blessings and the truth. Barbara was saying, and, and you know, again, in Psalm 68, verse 19, he daily loads us with benefits. Benefits of what? That are ours in Christ him having overcome every enemy for us and us in him. We have all of his benefits. We have the result of all that he's won for us. Daily, he loads us. Daily. But we need to know how to pray in dependence, and we need to know how to pray in the truth of what is ours in Christ. We need to know that of what is ours so, because they weren't called to the same blessings. Listen, the veil that was on them has been lifted. The veil that was over the knowledge of God was rent when Christ defeated Satan on, on the cross. The veil was rent in Matthew 27, verse 51. That veil was his flesh in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. He defeated him. The veil has been opened. Now the light shines out. The truth shines out to us. And the consequence is, is that that light that's come out of that holy place cannot and will not tolerate evil. And there's a battle because of it. There's so much more in this, but one of the key things here that I really wanted to get to, and God made it very clear to me, more <coughs> clearer than ever in reality this morning, is prayer. It is prayer. It is prayer. It is prayer. It is the preparation for every single thing in our life. We may not always understand it. We may say why. The reality is God said it. And it's very real. And it's very, very intense. Especially for us. With this light. With this Christ that we have. With all of the treasures. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure. And these fragile clay jars, and don't you and I think for a moment that that's not going to be attacked. He wants to attack the treasure in us, and he wants to attack the treasure in others. He does. We have it in these fragile clay jars. We need to have that armor on. We need to have it. Listen, if you and I are weak, and we are, then Christ is our strength. That's what it says here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, his might. And when you and I are at a distance from him, when you and I are at a distance from his presence in the midst, of, there's warfare going on. Two nations. There's two kingdoms. There's the empire and kingdom of darkness, Satan, against the empire and kingdom of, of Christ, which is light. And it's going to be a constant, they're at war. 
Do they go into battle? The two nations necessarily that are at war with one another? And even a declaration of war, do they necessarily battle all the time? No, they don't. But they are at war. And they need to be prepared. Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is prepared for battle. <laughs> prepared for battle, but safety is of the Lord. <laughs> boy, oh boy. The battle is the Lord's in Exodus 14, 14. The battle is the Lord's in 1 Samuel 17, 47. The battle is the Lord's in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 15. The battle is the Lord's. It's his. Do we, are we to battle our flesh? Are we to get into battle with our flesh? Are we to get some book that teaches us the four steps, the 12 steps of everything that we're supposed to do about the flesh? Or do we have nothing to do with it because we're not of it? Think of the battles that we that Satan wants us to get in with one another with this flesh. <laughs> Ooh, no. It's not our battle. It's not our battle. Sure and shooting. Sure and shooting. One of the ways he wants it is to get you and I in a battle about someone's flesh. Maybe we even care about them, but as soon as we do that, we're out of his presence. And when we get out of his presence, we have no strength. And when we have no strength, circumstances and situations become our guide. Instead of him, in Psalm 48, verse 14, he will be our guide unto death. In other words, the time we see him. Because the day of one's death for, for the believer is greater than the day of one's birth in Ecclesiastes 7 1. Isn't that wonderful? Listen. Instead, our circumstances become, become our guide when we get out of his presence, instead of us drawing near into Jesus by prayer. And that really prayer is just a declaration to ourselves continually and to an atmosphere that we are totally dependent on him. You want to touch me? You have to touch him first. Would you like to do that? James 4, 6, God resists the proud. And we haven't even begun to touch this. We're scratching this thing. God resists the proud. It's very warm, but God resists the proud. He does. God resists those who think that they can operate in the thought that they have strength outside of him. That they can operate in Christianity without prayer. Without total dependence on him. To get to know him intimately. God resists the proud. But he gives much more greater grace. Oh, that's teaching us something. We need to draw near in dependence. And that area that could frustrate us, that could defeat us in our experience, because you can't in our position, would be the thing that God would use to draw us to him in dependence so he could give us greater grace, greater degrees of unbelievable things that we have in Christ. God resists the proud. And oh boy, does that, boy, he wants us to get in the battle in our flesh. And all that can motivate that is pride, whether we're ignorant of it or not. God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace to the humbled, to those that are absolutely dependent. Then in verse 7 says, therefore submit yourself to God. Oh, God. Well, what do I need help in? Do I need wisdom? Do, do, do I need help in the battle? Do I need help about those that I'm praying for? What do I need? Where's my direction going to come from? Where's my help going to come from? Well, read Psalm 121. Our help comes from the Lord, 
I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From that's where my help comes from. It's getting my eyes off myself, off the circumstance, off the situation, and putting them on Christ. We all can't hear this enough. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. And then, in Christ, you resist the devil. Believe it or not, in the worst circumstances, you don't have to lose your peace. I don't care who you're with. It's the truth. I'm telling you, this is the truth. You don't have to lose your peace and rest in Christ. Nothing can affect you when you're in his presence. That's the truth of the matter. It's the truth of the matter. It is. Nothing can affect you. Great peace have they that love your law, your word, and nothing will cause you to stumble. In Psalm 119, 165. Great peace. Why? Because Christ, how great is he? How great is he who he is? How great is what he's accomplished on our behalf? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Then you resist the devil. Then he will flee from you. And what that's saying is, when you and I submit to God, and how do we submit to him? Can we submit to him if we don't know the truth that will set us free in John 8, verse 32 and 36? We need to submit ourselves to God, to Christ. Then we resist the devil. Then he will flee. In other words, you put God, you put Christ between you and whatever sight dictates through lies, through Satan, and then what happens? He flees because he has to face the one that defeated him. See? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Then it says in verse 8, draw near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Then you cleanse your hands, you sinners. <laughs> then you purify your hearts from being double-minded. I know it's you, God, but what can I do? I know, God, you will give me the victory, but what can I do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, in Proverbs 3, verse 5, and lean not to your own understanding, because our own understanding only comes from a lie, from Satan. That's where it comes from. And he has these things. But the key for us is prayer. Constant. Constant. If there's any area, and I don't usually say this or do this, but if there's any area I have been so slack in for way too long, it's prayer. It's the truth. It is the reason why so much happens to us that's not of God. And the reason why it happens is because of that lack of dependence, that lack of prayer. The enemy wants to come in, wants to use the past to rob you of present blessings, wants to use the past to rob you from functioning in all the gifts that God has for you, simply because you don't draw near to the giver constantly. You know what? He's a giver. You know what he says? You draw near to me and you watch. I will continue to give. I'm a giver. That's all he's ever done. God creates the world. He created it. He came into the world, and the world hates him. For what they created it? For no cause. Boy, we need to draw near. Men should always pray and not faint, Luke 18, 1. Morning, noon, and night will I cry unto you in Psalm 55, 17. Hear my prayer in Psalm 5, 1 through 3. Let hear my prayer. Continue instant in prayer. Uh, Romans 12, verse 12. Continuing instant in prayer. In other words, continuing instant constantly in dependence, in fellowship, in intimacy with him. 
So, Lord, we thank you. There's so much more. But, oh, how we need to have prayer. Yeah. Prayer doesn't necessarily change things. It just brings in the reality of God. It, it brings in a power and a might in the midst of weakness. In an instant, we don't have to prolong things. In an instant, we can do this. Because we pray unto not the God of the impossible, but the God of the impossible. We pray to God himself. So, Lord, just really, these things we need not only to hear, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word in Romans 10, 17. We not only need to hear them, we need to submit unto them and to appropriate them in utter, absolute weakness and total dependence, and then find the most awesome strength. But that strength, it's just more than just being strong. It's just receiving from him constantly and being in his presence. Just loving him. Making his love for us the issue and our love for him. And what a protection it is. So, Lord, we thank you. And uh, we're just looking forward to so much more and the preciseness of what you've given us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.